Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Last time we talked about shame, what it means. I'm not good enough. It's guilt and overdrive or mm-hmm. I'm overexposed. Today we're going to talk about more about what shame pushes us to do. Not comfortable things. <laughs> not good things. <laughs> I think I think bringing up that when you think about shame screens, they're not rational, right? We talked a little bit about how shame is a not a rational experience. And if you go back to our podcast on fear, it's a fear response. So your IQ is lower. So remember that we, when, when Haley's saying not responsible things, she's saying that your IQ is dropped out of the floor mm-hmm. and you're terrified and you're trying to hide your terrified from everyone else. And so that's one of the reasons that these shame screens, often we can't see them coming. They are literally um, a reaction that you have that you don't necessarily realize. And so there are three shame screens categories yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's moving toward moving away and moving against moving toward is where we try to appear as if we're doing better than we really are i have a fun personal experience about moving toward go for it so uh in college i really loved going to hot springs uh would spend all night and go to class the next day like a moron because apparently didn't need sleep that's not the shame screen. So uh, there were these really deep hot springs that I really liked. And uh, they were about 30, 35 feet deep. And at one end, there was this narrow neck and that would open up deeper below. And uh, I realized, hey, I could dive through that narrow hole and get to the bottom quicker instead of swimming. And so I was diving pretty successfully and showing off. And then on the way down, uh, someone was in my way. So I moved to the last second of my dive and I hit my forehead against the volcanic rock, which bounced my head against another area. And luckily I didn't black out because uh, I am able to hold my breath for a pretty long time. I would regularly stay down for two minutes, sometimes up to four minutes. So if I had blacked out and drowned, no one would have noticed for a little while. <laughs> and uh, so I, I stayed down at the bottom for a little bit going, ah, crap. I know I shouldn't have been diving. This isn't smart. Who dives in the hot springs? Much less through a narrow opening. I'm going to come up and uh, hopefully no one notices. And if they do, I'm going to just play it off. So I swim up nice and calm. I'm in a huge amount of pain. And everyone starts freaking out. And I don't really know why they're freaking out because I can't feel the blood gushing down my face because I just have all of this water rushing down my face with the blood. But apparently I looked a bit like a horror movie. (laughs) And so what do I say? Hey guys, what's wrong? I know full well what's wrong. Mm -hmm. I hit my head in two places. And so uh, what do I do? Nothing. A friend comes over and splashes my face with water, trying to get the blood to stop. It does not. And uh, so what do I do next? Go to the hospital? No, no, no. We drive for pizza and then we drive the hour and a half, two hours home. 
and then uh, get in the shower, continuing to bleed quite profusely. And then at this point, I, uh, I go to my mom, who's a nurse, and say, hey, uh, can I uh, ask you to look at something if you promise not to get mad? She goes, oh my hell, what did you do now? <laughs> so clearly, shame screen moving towards the entire time. Turns out I got a swollen brain from that entire thing and should have gone to the hospital immediately. <laughs> So, like you were saying, Jen. If you're not seeing your faces right now, Jen and I are both like palm on forehead. It's the usual. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Also, I'm realizing that's where the concussion started. I was gonna say. No, no, that was number six. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, I think it's interesting when we go towards moving against. It's really taking our shame and instead of acknowledging I'm embarrassed or I feel guilty about doing something or that was stupid or you're right I did something wrong going into the accountability place of it. Hey guys can we go to the hospital? Yeah. (laughs) Oh your faces are valid. I am a horror movie. Let's respond as if I hit my head in two places underwater. That would have been a normal response. And I shouldn't be driving. Can someone take my keys? You drove yeah. two hours. You know, I was assuming someone else drove. I, yeah. No. And can we just talk about how dumb college age guys are that they let me and no one. Anyway, there was a lot going on there. Yes. <laughs> but I think it's important to talk about. So things that we kind of self-deprecation, right, is what we're talking about. So when we make fun of the fact that we feel weak or we're failing at something and we don't see it as a normal human part of the experience, right? We talked a little bit about that last week in um, talking about shame. The idea of that I'm dirty or messy or bad and leaning into it and not trying to improve. The other idea of that I'm not enough and actually saying, I don't care that I'm not enough when you do. If you don't care that you're not enough, then you wouldn't be in shame, mm-hmm. right? And then the loss of control over bodily functions is one that we do, right? So this idea of, I love when adults talk about peeing their pants, right? It's my favorite. Oh, Maybe. not to pee. I mean, <laughs> peeing your pants is cool, and I'm Miles Davis. <laughs> But I love when people talk about it because it's such a fun conversation. Well, and so many people pretend like it doesn't ever happen or it can't happen after whatever age and there's no valid reason. So so there's kind of that shame screen around as an adult, I would never have an act of bodily function accident every adult has soiled themselves or wet themselves i i can Absolutely. honestly say though i haven't <laughs> you're I, not living so this is called moving away shame. no <laughs> i feel bad because i always say that because everyone's like everyone's done it and i'm like i'm really not trying to be an example i just really haven't i also haven't thrown up since fourth grade so like there we go so so your shame is so deep to crack a toe on your body's gonna explode i was gonna it's say fine. your shame is so deep that it's actually changed your physical makeup it's you're not even capable of I have expressing. more self-control of my body than anyone else because of shame. <laughs> it's like how I would never fall asleep in class because I would be so ashamed to fall asleep in oh public. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> We're really off. So so when we move away from when we move away from it, part of it is that we make fun of ourselves, that we try and hit ourselves before we can get hit by other people mm-hmm. emotionally. And so as Taylor's doing that, his idea 
under the water that he's saying, I'm so stupid. Absolutely. That I will pretend I'm not is is the moving away experience or the moving towards yeah you can have multiple shame screens at the same time and the problem with when we we have like a moment we feel shame we have this response of self-deprecation then what ends up happening too is we end up having habitual self-deprecation humor even when we're not in the thick of shame because we're like well that helped me avoid it entirely so i'm just going to continue to use that Right. And so it's not necessarily that we're always feeling shame with every single moment that we're using self-deprecating humor, but we've now made essentially a, a foil to not have to go through that emotion. And we kind of hit it before it hits us. So one of the examples of I have of this is that growing up, I was overweight as a child. I gained mm-hmm. weight after I had my appendix out. And as I got to be an adult, I would bring up my weight before other people would to try and minimize the response act like I was okay with it um, and actually tell myself there were several times that I just said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, But that was really out of a lack of control for me. And so it's interesting that we do these things again, they can come from a lot of when other people treat us with shame, then we start to move towards our shame to, to buffer the social rejection that we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And people will move against uh, where you respond with hostility um, or even toxic positivity. Other people's shame because we can't tolerate it. And so someone might say something that is true and they're comfortable with about themselves. Like I think in the first podcast, I said I was a nerd or something. People will be like, no, no, you're cool. You're fine. Like, uh, I didn't say I wasn't cool. I just said I was nerdy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nerding is the new cool. Right. Totally. Like, where was that? 30 years ago (laughs) it was before the internet when the internet came out nerds became cool right because then we found out there was more of us than them right (laughs) yeah that was the that was the compassionate experience that you were experiencing with that and so now we nerd out and we have theme parks related to all of our nerdy thoughts and feelings right Mm -hmm. but uh like moving against like uh when someone says i'm underweight or i need more muscle or i'm overweight you know, often around uh, body image or other personality things is like, no, you're not that. Like, no, I can accept me for who I am, but other people aren't able to tolerate our own experience. Mm-hmm. And that comes from their shame. So being in a place where you recognize that I'm okay with where I am, but other people aren't, that that is one of those things that can bring shame in. And so we might shame screen around certain people or not talk about things around certain people because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. So we talked about the idea of denying, moving away from, and then moving towards. And then the the next one, moving moving against. against, Right, so moving against can happen in two different ways. You can move against yourself and you can move up against others. So when we look at moving against, understand that it's not always moving against others. I think that might be where our initial thing goes is if I say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you didn't call the doctor after you were bleeding from the head. No, I mostly worked through this incident. Mm. That's why we can talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's important to recognize that those two things can happen, that we can move against. We can say, Hey, stop criticizing me. Don't like you're being a jerk for even bringing up my shame or attacking you, or I didn't do it wrong, or I could start lying or gaslighting to save myself, or I can accept you and actually go deeper into my shame, which is really traumatizing 
for you to go deeper and deeper into your shame. And I want to talk about a little bit, then what do you do when you find that you're in that place of going deeper into your shame through any of the shame screens? The most helpful thing is to recognize that we're feeling shame, assess what the message is that the shame is telling us, and then share that story of what kicked up the shame, what the message is with someone safe. So someone safe is someone that's not going to judge us and not say, you should have done this, you should have done that. What were you thinking? What's wrong with you? But mm-hmm. someone that can just listen and then empathize. So someone that empathizes isn't someone that's necessarily going to agree or disagree. They're not necessarily going to apologize or pity. They're just going to say like, wow, that sucks. Mm-hmm. The other thing that helps using another person is actually to give a different perspective. So our shame is really rooted in unrealistic expectations of self. So the idea that you can constantly dive into a pool of water with lava rocks and never hit your head at some point even the best diver might do that right so as as you talk to somebody else they can help ground you in your expectation was a little bit crazy and it's okay and even your older wiser self is saying as a as a college age person i was not surrounded by people who were able to safely say taylor you actually need to go to the hospital was there no women around this is my thought why else would he have been diving into there? That's actually exactly why. <laughs> okay, now we understand. So then you couldn't show. I was weakness. peacocking. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't show. The, Nothing the, like a good bloody peacock to get, <laughs> get your attraction going. It's a powerful aphrodisiac. It's a powerful thing to see a man. Bleeding all Bleeding over. and having his brain halfway out but notice as we as we laugh about it and as we reevaluate the expectations and go to that common humanity which is what we talked about of how we show self-compassion if you can't move to self-compassion yourself having that safe person help you move towards self-compassion is really important and a big part of what we do as therapists is take your shame and not just move away from it and say oh no you're fine right yeah yeah but actually to say wow, of course you felt that way. And I, this was a session I just had yesterday. Of course you struggled with doing something new. Of course you didn't feel confident in it. Of course that it feels awkward and you feel vulnerable now. That's part of growing. Put it in context. And then in context, we can have compassion, empathy, and accountability. Yeah, right. And so the older, wiser part of us will then go to, my nephews who are in that age range and say, okay, guys, if you ever hit your head on a rock, just, just let me know. You don't have, you can, you can bloody peacock in front of the girls, but call me quickly. Okay. Right. Yeah. Plan A, don't hit your head. Plan B, go to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I think just giving that safe space to look at it. I like what you're saying too, with that idea of instead of being like, oh, don't feel that way or dwelling too much into it there's a good balance where it's just looking and calling it as it is I think that that is the best thing for shame is to look at it and say yeah uh it's okay shame came up shame shouldn't be an elongated emotion that's what we're saying with all of this but shame comes up and it's alerting us of something 
So one of the things that we didn't talk about last week as I was listening to Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's new book, Mm -hmm. was the idea of we didn't talk about embarrassment. And I want to talk about the difference real quick between embarrassment and shame, because that first initial shame thought of, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I peed my pants. Haley will never understand this. But, you know, when you go to that normalizing of, oh, well, I mean, I could either hate myself for it or I can just go figure out the next step becomes the difference between shame and embarrassment. Embarrassment, the research shows that one of the things about embarrassment is it's slow. Embarrassment doesn't take very long to resolve. That's why they say that embarrassment comes with blushing. And you can think about the idea of blushing comes and it goes. And it's the same thing with embarrassment. Yeah, that embarrassment is rooted in the idea that, oh, this kind of happens to everyone and this is temporary. Mm-hmm. And humiliation is this is something that's been done to me and it's unfair. Right. And when you can say those instead of shame, you can say, okay, appropriate guilt versus inappropriate guilt. Appropriate guilt, well, every type of guilt, we start with investigation. What does it mean? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? And then with appropriate guilt, we work through restitution. Mm-hmm. With inappropriate guilt, like shame, humiliation, those kinds of things, that's when you move towards reevaluating whether their standard was even valid. I think along with what you're saying with humiliation too, it's the idea that I cannot find restitution until someone else goes out of their way to fix it. So that goes back into that idea of like boundary demotions and saying that's not a boundary demotion in humiliation in that way. We're depending on someone else to fix our emotion when we only have the availability to fix within our own area, our own place. Right. It goes back to what you can and can't control. So if Mm -hmm. you, if you say, I can only feel safe if I'm getting the approval from these certain people, this might remind you of your early teenagers, then you're unboundaried, meaning you are, you're relying on something you can't control where if you say, I will feel safe by being my truest self, living in authenticity, um, even this idea that I learned as a younger kid of saying there are certain people's opinions who I will care about, but the, the number is limited and they have to want what's best for me. So therefore every person in junior high is off the table and pretty much 99% of people in high school, there were a couple of good teachers there. Yeah, that makes sense. I think in, in, in conclusion, I, what I think is most important is this idea. If you're dealing with shame, to move into a safe relationship space where you can talk through it. Mm-hmm. And that the, the big part of EMDR, which is trauma care, is actually moving through shame. If you look at the negative cognitions that we align those experiences with, the responsibility, there's three, there's responsibility, control, and safety. The responsibility one are all shame screens. And so when you work through that with a therapist and actually in a calmer state versus that heightened low IQ state, then you're able to process the emotion to completion rather than hold it with you for years. I like, I like what you're saying about connection too, because when you think about it, shame, isn't just, you don't really feel shame when you're by yourself and alone for the most part. Usually it's as a result of a connection situation of someone saw me or someone's going to 
even if you're by yourself, it's because, well, if someone knew about this then, right? And so it makes sense that the way to work through it and to regulate it and to heal it is by finding the healthy connection aspect rather than just trying to do it on your own. And if we do consistently feel shame on our own, uh, even just because we don't like what we see in the mirror, because we don't like the thoughts that we have, we don't like what we're doing on our own, then it's not even in the context of if someone saw this or if someone knew about this. It's a trauma response, like we were talking about last time, that shame is born out of trauma. Um, the different shame screens line up really well with fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Mm-hmm. And one of the things to understand too is shame screens can start really early. And, and as a child, especially if we experience trauma as a child, then showing up perfectly equals safety. And so we start to develop shame screens that aren't valid as adults. And that's another reason that we can start to work through them in therapy. But it's really important to realize that what was not safe, meaning I couldn't get my basic needs met as a child, those stick with us. And it doesn't matter how old we get until we do that process of investigating and examining with a safe person. And children that show up perfectly obedient and well-mannered are always a sign of a home at the very least that's emotionally unsafe and usually a home that's uh, physically unsafe. Mm -hmm. To the extreme with that perfect obedience kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure you realize that always. So if your kids are good every once in a while, that's good. But if they're always good, always, perfectionism is birthed in shame. Yeah, Mm -hmm. towing the line is, uh, always towing the line is really unhelpful. Kids are messy. So are adults, but kids... That's their learning process. That's how they learn is play and things like that. And that's what makes sense for them. As you say that, I just want to add this, that idea that because we're messy people, that safe people, going back to what Taylor said of finding a safe person, is a person you can be messy with. It's one Mm -hmm. of the great gifts of friendship and connection is that I can be imperfect around you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We would love to hear from you.